Welcome to this episode of Anesthesia on Air, the podcast of the Royal College of Anesthetists. My name is Dr. Ashwini Keshkamath. I'm a specialty doctor in anesthetics at Dartford and Gravesham NHS Trust, council member of the Royal College of Anesthetists and chair of the SAS committee. In this episode about SAS doctors and the role of SAS advocate, I'm joined today by not one, but two wonderful colleagues who have had inspirational career journeys as SAS doctors. It's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Gauri Sanke, who is an SAS anesthetist at the University Hospitals at Derby and Burton Foundation Trust. Gauri is an SAS advocate. She is also a trim practitioner and manager. She is the recently appointed BMA SAS committee co-opted member. I'm also delighted to introduce Rob Fleming, who is a specialty doctor anesthetist and one of the newly appointed SAS advocates at Sherwood Forest Hospitals in North Nottinghamshire. In his spare time, he is an elected board member at the Association of Anesthetists and current chair of the Association SAS Committee. I'm sure many of us know Rob through social media, where he is the voice of many and an influencer. Welcome, Gauri, and welcome, Rob. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Ashwini, for the introduction. Right. So without, uh, you know, just let's dive into the details of this. So the GMC survey of SAS or locally employed doctors in 2019 points out that most SAS doctors are from minority ethnicity. They are international medical graduates and a significant proportion of them are females. So Gauri, can you tell us your journey as an SAS doctor coming from an international background? Ashwini, I have done my undergraduate training from India, University of Mumbai, and soon I hailed to UK after finishing my postgraduate training in anesthesia. I uh, soon entered after having sat for PRAP examination and ILTS, uh, which is slightly bit of a hurdle in India. But soon I, after I came to this country, I did enter into honorary SHO post, which was offered by Stephen H. And soon I entered into locum SHO training in 2006. In 2007, I did apply for MTAS. Unfortunately, due to my personal circumstances and visa issues in the country, I had to give up MTAS uh, appointed post and soon I entered into non-training trust get positions. For a couple of years, I worked in uh, Hammersmith Hospital, Imperial College Trust, and to achieve the better work-life balance, I opted for SAS. I'm quite happy and content with the job, which is which I'm doing at this point uh, at University Hospitals of Derby and Burton NHS Foundation Trust. As I have always felt that 60% of doctors are IMG background, as you rightly said, and more of them are females. To be accurate, we are more than 100,000 SS doctors and LE doctors across UK NHS healthcare workforce, and more than 30,000 doctors are females. This is survey which I have read on uh, Twitter and uh, official survey which is on websites as well. So 
I followed the path of specialty doctor to achieve the family circumstances and to achieve the better work-life balance. Indeed, uh, thanks Gauri for sharing your journey with us and uh, looks like you've had to go through quite a few hurdles, but the resilience persists. Uh, Rob, um, you have obviously uh, been in a formal training program before and you have spoken at various forums where you've passionately spoken about uh, alternative career pathways to be an anesthetist. SES Advocate, now this is indeed a very interesting job title. Can you tell us what this is all about and what the role is? I can, I can certainly do my best. Um, so this morning I, I did a very quick Google before the podcast recording just to uh, just say that I would have a, a, a snappy definition for you. Um, so Google says that an advocate is an individual who promotes the interests or cause of either another individual or a group of people. So in this case, the SAS advocate is a person who is there to represent and promote the interests and cause of SAS doctors. Um, specifically, the new role has been created to have a focus on the health and well-being of this group. Um, and as you know, and as you've alluded to, Ashwini, in various um, in various surveys and reports that have been published nationally over the last few years, it is recognised that SAS doctors and locally employed doctors have a greater incidence of bullying and harassment in the workplace um, and perhaps don't always have the experiences of being employees within the NHS that we would wish them to have. Um, so the SAS advocate is a new role um, recommended by um, NHS employers and the BMA as part of the 2021 SAS contract reform. Um, and the advocate is going to form a third pillar of support um, for SAS doctors working within an organisation. And um, the other two pillars of support being um, the SAS tutor, and every organisation should now have a SAS tutor because that was part of the contract reform in 2008. So you would hope that at this point there is a SAS tutor in every employing organisation that has SAS doctors. Um, and the other pillar of support is the uh, SAS representative on the local negotiating committee um, who should be nominally responsible for contractual issues that apply to SAS doctors within an organisation. Um, the SAS advocate role will inevitably overlap a little bit with both of those roles, but the way I see the role as being different is that this will be a person who is empowered within the organisation to be the voice of the entire SAS workforce and locally employed workforce, certainly in my organisation, um, such that these doctors are seen as important and that the roles of the other pillars of support are also seen as important. Um, it is someone to raise the profile of the grade and support these doctors in every aspect, contractual, cultural, organisational, um, and to make sure that they are seen and heard. That's so true, isn't it? Uh, I think it's about translating all the work that's happened at the national level to um, come down to the local or trust level. Um, so Gauri, um, how is your experience being? So you've been in this role for of an SAS advocate for over a year now. So can you share some uh, success stories or possibly some challenges that you have faced um, in this role? Thank you, Ashwini. Sure, I'll be very keen to uh, share my experience and my challenges, both positives and negatives in this role. Paving the way for SS doctors to achieve their potential has been central to the role of this advocate. I've been advocate for more than half a year and it's been really busy period. I really didn't know what to expect, but there are a lot of 
colleagues across the nation who have helped me, particularly Academy of Medical Royal Colleges, BMA members, Industrial Relationship Officer at East Midlands, Trust Management, they all have helped me. SS tutors at our trust and LNCSS representatives have been very instrumental as well. I couldn't have done this on my own, but it's a joint effort. Um, I always thought that if I'm the first advocate, whom do I go to? And I would be the one to create the blueprint for future appointees. Um, a consultant colleague of mine uh, did share Rob's number, and then I did start asking him a lot of questions, queries, concerns, what I have, and how to go about this. And uh, it did take finally uh, the shape, uh, and I think I'm getting into the role at this point. Uh, the main elements uh, have been uh, promotion of health and well-being for SS doctors, especially in relation to the impact of the pandemic, helping colleagues to deal with the issues in the workplace and collaborating with SS tutors and engaging with our staff. So I did have two well-being forums face to face. Uh, they were quite successful with what I wanted to achieve but engagement was a concern. So we are working towards it, how to engage more SaaS doctors. As you see, even in the national GMC survey or BMA surveys, uh, though we are more than 100,000 SS doctors, still 6,000, 7,000 doctors would respond to the survey. So engagement is a concern, but we are working towards it. That is one of the challenges I faced. It's very daunting to present the trust board report, but that's the way it is because it goes to the member of public. Uh, but I would appreciate the openness and fairness uh, culture at our trust. Um, we are here to support and sign both SaaS doctors, uh, not only uh, to tell them about the freedom to speak guardians, you have to engage with them, you have to deal, you have to go to the micro level of each and every department to reach out to your colleagues and to the division where they're facing the problems. Uh, I am always uh, been proud of me being taught by National Police Academy at TRIM and we being SS doctors along with consultant bodies are delivering this trauma-focused peer psychological support system to help colleagues who have experienced a traumatic or adverse event. I think we don't need to get up to the adverse event to happen. I would strongly feel that we have to recognize it. So it's early recognition and dealing with it is more essential than having this support system. Having support system is a great thing, but identifying the problems which we could avoid will be the route for my advocate role. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Gauri. Yes, I think uh, that's really important, isn't it? The support system that um, we require, and that's not only in the directorate, but just in general in the trust however we know that um, we are uh, at present times we are in a workforce crisis so what according to you should an SAS job look like and as advocates how will you uh, take this to managers uh, when you know we know that as an easters the burden of elective waiting lists and quota gaps can easily send us you know on a guilt trip because traditionally, or there's been this myth that SAS doctors are for service commitment. Uh, 
Rob, do you want to take that? Thanks, Ashwini. Um, yes, no, this this is a this is an incredibly valid point. Um, at a time where we are clearly not well staffed enough as a specialty, and, and with that is true within, I think, most specialties and within primary care, um, at a time where we are in a workforce crisis and where we do not have enough people to do the work, um, it is very tempting to make people work harder and to deny people development opportunities. And unfortunately, I think we can all predict which professional group and which individuals that is most likely to happen to, which I think is why it's vitally important that advocates, both at a local and at a national level, push back against that and speak up and say that, you know, the individual matters and the individual professional development matters. Um, a phrase that I quite like using in a lot of the talks that I give is that, you know, it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. It is self-evidently better for the long-term workforce if everyone gets to meet their individual potential. You know, today's service should absolutely not come at the cost of tomorrow's and keeping people, you know, in perpetual middle tier parts of the rotor and parts of the workforce because their development costs a little bit of service is going to make things worse in five years time and um, given a large number of SAS and locally employed doctors also come to the UK from abroad if those doctors can come to the UK and see their career pathway that takes them from where they are towards being a senior doctor within our healthcare system we are far more likely to have success recruiting these doctors and we have we're far more likely to be able to retain them you know, medicine is currently facing a workforce crisis, but also an attrition crisis. We are losing colleagues on a day to day basis um, and, and therefore the professional development and the retention of any individual doctor matters a great deal. Um, this, I think, is the strong argument for well, this is certainly the argument I use at a national level and the one that I intend to use more at a local level. Now I'm the advocate within my trust that actually individual doctors all matter, you know, and I think that's that's the that's the crucial message, isn't it? That's that's true, Rob. And I think, as you said, individual uh, doctors matter and all individuals may have different career pathways, which brings me to like we each one may need support for development. Some of them may need progress to specialist grade or CESAR or entering training programs. So there are various options for SAS doctors to have career progression. So how do we translate the work done by college association academy or other national bodies at the local level? Uh, do we have a network of SAS advocates? Because um, I'm, uh, I think it's uh, obviously Gauri and Rob, you, you recently appointed um, as an SAS advocate, but do we have SAS advocates across the four nations? Um, hi, Ashwini. Uh, I think uh, when I attended ARM BMA prior to that, I had attended SS conference on 24th May at BMA House. Uh, 11 SS advocates have been appointed. I'm not sure about across nation, but I am in touch with four advocates and recently two more advocates have been appointed in East Midlands region. So if we maintain engagement and continue build this SS network, that is the only way is up. And Rob was always keen on uh, having national advocate uh, forum, which I think we will soon get there. Yes, that's, I think that's the way forward, isn't it? Because uh, obviously we as a group need that engagement. And I can see uh, that over the years, the engagement, um, 
with regards to SES doctors and the college is definitely increasing and um, we are, um, the college definitely is in a, a listening mode and we want ideas, we want to know what the membership faces in their day-to-day -day, um, work activities. So uh, I think these are interesting times and it's a good space to be. Now, organizational cultures uh, have had significant impact and they always have an impact on the well-being of doctors. So do you think that the compassionate and supportive culture that's in the college and the work done by the academy has transferred fully into the NHS trust? I think if it's okay, I'll take this one, Gary. Um, I, 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 yes, no, the answer is clearly no. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, the answer is very definitely no. And, and I think... I think the Academy of Medical Royal College's SAS committee uh, recognises this as well. There was a fantastic paper from Lucy Williams, which is called exactly that, uh, Rhetoric versus Reality, which again was recognising that an awful lot has been written, both from the AOMRC and in a more wider sense, there have been documents that have been endorsed by um, NHS employers, the BMA, HEE and the AOMRC. Um, and the British Dental Association, so the, the maximising the potential document and the um, uh, SAS Doctor Development Guide have both been endorsed by essentially everyone. Um, and yet I don't believe those documents accurately yet reflect what happens on the ground for individual SAS doctors. Um, and I think this is a very, very important part of the role of the SAS advocate is raising awareness, because if you can show somebody within your organisation, be that your trust or the organization in which you work in nationally if you can show someone a document that says everyone has signed up to do this why aren't we doing it it's an awful lot harder for that person to then come back and say well no we're not going to do that you know it's culture only persists until you demonstrate that what is currently happening is not what is supposed to be happening you know and i think once you can demonstrate that what is currently happening is not what is supposed to be happening then it should be easier to make a change um I like the word culture. I think culture and expectations define SAS careers more so than they do for any other part of the workforce. Everybody knows what a trainee is and everybody knows what a consultant is. But I think an awful lot of people think they know what a SAS doctor is. And an awful lot of culture and expectations feed into the experiences of SAS doctors in, in the day to day workplace. You know, so I'd say there are elements of that that you've alluded to already. So saying that SAS doctors are just for service, now that isn't written down anywhere. That is a culture. That is a cultural trope that really needs to die, but it persists. You know, we have two versions of the SAS doctor development guide, and we've got a document called Maximising the Potential, Essential Measures to Support SAS Doctors. How can those documents exist in a world where those doctors are also just for service? That, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, I think other other kind of cultural elements that feed in sometimes fact feature into the language that we use as well. So SAS doctors are often described as middle grades. Now, no doctor is a perpetual middle grade doctor. You know, it requires two years experience in your specialty to become a specialty doctor. And there are associate specialists and newly created specialists who've got 20 plus years experience in their specialty. Those doctors are very different and they do not belong to one homogenous mass of perpetual middle grade. Um, you know, this is why I like to describe being a SAS doctor as being an alternative career pathway, because there are people on it who are early in their careers and there are people on it who are far later in their careers who are objectively working as senior doctors. Um, you know, and I, again, I think the biggest barrier to making things better for SAS doctors is exactly as you've alluded to, is trying to change organisational culture. Uh, thanks, Rob. 
Uh, indeed, isn't it? I, I think it's it's the way we see culture and uh, cultures change, cultures can integrate, uh, cultures have different, uh, people have different perspectives. So it's important to um, know what's uh, put out there and uh, translate it at local levels. So both of you as advocates, I think are doing a fantastic job and we need more SAS advocates. In fact, SAS advocates in every trust that would be the way forward and a network or a forum of SES advocates so that we as a group then uh, are more engaged and receive the recognition or feel valued um, because we are indeed uh, more than 23% of the workforce as far as anesthetics is concerned. And I, am, I can proudly say that the GPAS chapter or, um, from the Royal College of Anesthetists about the good department mandates that the department must establish and maintain a culture of proactive thinking about questioning and equality, diversity and inclusion in all that it does, including recruitment, um, opportunities for extended roles and responsibilities. And it also strongly encourages SAS doctors to engage in leadership opportunities. So I'm sure both of you are aware of this and take that to your trust but i think it's important to advocate this role uh into all four devolved nations it's good that you've mentioned the um the gpas good department chapter ashwini um there's something else in there that kind of seems to have been overlooked by an awful lot of departments that that uh, that that chapter mandates that there should also be a sas clinical lead um, who in my opinion should be a sas doctor it also says that individual anesthetic departments should all have a sas mentor um, who is someone within the department who's got oversight and responsibility to support the professional development of SAS anaesthetists. So again, independent of the organisational SAS tutor, individual departments should also have a SAS mentor who is responsible for kind of helping to progress the career of, uh, of SAS doctors within the anaesthetic department. Yes, and Gauri, what do you think um is the future or what would you advise or tell all SAS colleagues across the four nations about how the SAS job is going to look like in the next six months or over the year? Thank you, Ashwini. It's a question which I would like to highlight upon some cultural change. Are we really looking into real change? Parity in ST? We want SS doctor to be a viable and a positive career choice. Uh, we should be allowed to support for development as leaders and educators. And of course, I'm going to talk about specialist role, which is the mainstay of career progression, which goes along with the new contract. But apart from new contract, it's a parity nesting. And any uh, ideas from you, Rob? Thank you, Ashwini. I, I absolutely love the phrase parity of esteem. I, I, I stole that shamelessly from psychiatry who use it to describe how mental health should have the same um, should have the same esteem as physical health. But I think it applies very well to our part of the workforce. We, we treat, you know, progression from training through to CCT to being as being a consultant as the only way to have a career as a doctor. And every year, the fact that we do so becomes more absurd. Um, as we've alluded to, there are now more than 100,000 doctors on the medical register who are neither trainees nor GPs nor consultants. Those doctors deserve a viable, valid career pathway. 
Um, and we have one. We have a fantastic career pathway that would allow you to progress through being a specialty doctor, extending your role as a specialty doctor, becoming a specialist if you want to, progressing towards being a consultant via CESR if you want to, or re-entering training and becoming a consultant via a formal training programme. And support for all of these things should be a normal expectation of anyone who becomes a specialty doctor. Um, as we've mentioned elsewhere in the podcast, we are currently in a workforce crisis. We need every single doctor to want to stay within our specialty, and we want every single doctor who does stay within our specialty to have the best career they can possibly have, regardless of what it says on their badge. So I think it is indeed time that the SES doctors who form nearly 23% of the anaesthetic workforce receive their timely recognition and respect and are valued for what they contribute to, towards health services. So thank you so much, Rob and Gauri, for your time and uh, enlightening us about the role of what an SES advocate can do. And I'm hoping that colleagues listening to this podcast take this to their respective directorates and trusts and it kind of gets through through um, empowering SAS doctors individually and collectively. Thank you so much for your time. So for anyone who wants further information, please refer to the SAS pages on, on the Academy, the college and the association with websites and you will find a huge resource of papers and all the work that's happened nationally. Please take them to your local directorates and trusts and enable to empower SAS doctors. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank, Thank you, you. Gauri. Thank you for listening to Anesthesia On Air from the Royal College of Anaesthetists. Make sure you don't miss out on the latest episodes by clicking subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you give us a review. It helps others find our podcast. If there is a topic you'd like us to cover or you'd like to feature in the podcast, please email podcast at rcoa.ac.uk. And finally... If you would like to access more podcasts, as well as videos, e-learning, webinars, and our program of events and courses, you can find them all online at rcoa.ac.uk forward slash education. We hope to see you again soon. Please note, all views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and not those of the Royal College of Anaesthetists.